Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We've got a very special podcast for you today. A little bit later on, we're talking with a coach, Harvey Hyde. He'll be answering all of your USC football-related questions. If you have any questions, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call or text us at 424-254-9141. Before we get to the coach, got a special guest. Dean Bronzino, he is the executive director of the Legacy Foundation for the Rose Bowl. We're going to talk to Dean about this latest project that they have going on, a Keith Jackson statue. You can use hashtag Will Nelly, or you can you can follow him on Twitter at Dean Bronzino, B-R-O-Z-I-N-O. For more information on the website is KeithJacksonStatue.com. Dean, thanks for coming on. I love, uh, really looking forward to talking to you about this. You got it, Ryan. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So maybe like if people don't aren't familiar, I think Coach Harvey Hyde mentioned it on a, a podcast a week or so ago. Maybe give people uh, the kind of the overview of what you guys are doing here. Yeah, yeah. So the Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. So any gift to us is a is a charitable donation. So what what we typically do is try to raise money to, to protect, preserve, and enhance the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. We, we turn 100 years old in 2022, so um, we're, we're looking forward to that because we're more vibrant than we've ever been before. Uh, but with that, you know, we also have almost 100 years of heritage and history that we want to recognize and appropriately give back to the next generation to educate them on on how special that past at the stadium has been. And one of those people that has been a big part of that is Keith Jackson. So, you know, we're, um, we're right now in the middle of a campaign. It just started last week, uh, KeithJacksonStatue.com. We, we want to do a statue of Keith over here at the stadium and be the first and only one in existence. And, you know, it's important to us because Keith epitomizes what the Rose Bowl Stadium's about. You know, it's about inspirational moments, emotion, um, memories, that sort of thing. And, and Keith was always so good and diligent in working so hard at, the, at his craft to let those moments breathe and let those moments be important for the, for the viewer. Um, so, you know, it, it's really important for us that we get this statue campaign done and we think it appeals to a lot of people because Keith touched a lot of people. There's been over a hundred million people at the Rose bowl over the years, but you know, it seems like the, the big moment always seemed to find Keith, <laughs> you know, from the 06 Rose bowl game to the 10 Olympic games, the first season of Monday night football, the wide world of sports, everything in between, you know, he, he did over 50 years of college football, but, he truly, truly always seemed to find the big moments. And, you know, there, there's something special about that because it, it happened at the stadium quite often. So, you know, we're, uh, we're looking forward to this campaign, and, and anybody can give to it at www.keithjacksonstatue.com. A dollar helps, or you can get on a plaque right next to the statue with a $100 donation. So um, we're hoping people can pay back and give Keith and his family the thanks that for, for all those years that he gave us with those incredible moments on the mic. Yeah, I mean, if you're a USC fan and you are probably listening to this podcast, uh, so many Rose Bowls and so many of them with with Keith Jackson and so many just regular games. And you know, back in the days where every game wasn't televised and it was kind of special to watch one. And when he was calling the game, it was just a it was just, it was a game. I guess for lack of a better word, it was a game changer. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know, when you know, obviously 
uh, him passing away is terrible. But then it just brought out all these social media posts, all these people on our message boards, their favorite, you know, woe Nelly moments. And there was just so many of them. It just gives you this feel good. Just listening to him again, it just sounds like college football. It could be July or February or something. And you're thinking college football, just hearing his name and you're hearing his voice. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, when, when you turn on the TV, whether it was, you know, going back to the, the early 2000s when he was wrapping up his broadcasting career or going all the way back to the 60s, 70s, 80s where, you know, there was really just a game of the week at the end of the weekend and we didn't have the luxury of watching, you know, every game under the sun um, like, like we do today. When you heard Keith's voice, you knew you had the right game, you know, and because it was a big game if he was on it. And you know, that that's truly, truly impactful, I think, not just to the, the people that remember him, but you know, you look at today's modern broadcast crews, the, the Kirk Herbstreets, the Chris Fowlers, the Reese Davises. I mean, they're, they're all incredibly, incredibly talented. And when you talk to those guys about what, what settled that foundation for them as a broadcaster and really set their sights on the professionalism that they, they want to mimic today, it was, it was looking up to Keith Jackson. And it's the same for Lynn Swan, Dan Fouch, Bob and Brian Greasy. I mean, they look to Keith as that, that person. And, and, you know, the Trojan fans, more than anybody, are excited about it and, and, and understand it better than anyone because they've been to the Rose Bowl game more than anyone. So um, it, it's very important that, that we get this done for Keith, not just to really thank him and recognize him for those years and years of history and, and, and legacy that he provided, but you know there, there's been a tremendous broadcast history at the Rose Bowl Stadium that starts with Keith and, and probably ultimately ends with him, but we want to use this statue to educate people on that history as well, who was on the sidelines, who's been in the booth. Um, it, it's a, it's going to be a pretty cool project when it's all said and done, but ultimately we want to honor his legacy and pay, pay thanks and tribute to what he's given all of us over those 50 plus years of broadcasting. So this isn't, uh, you said, you know, it hasn't been anything done like this. So this, this is not like a common occurrence for, uh, your, the legacy foundation to just set up something like this. It seems like a pretty unique deal. Yeah. It definitely is a unique deal. Um, there's, there's actually one commemorative statue on site at the Rose Bowl Stadium. Like I mentioned in the, in the beginning, we're almost 100 years old. And the one commemorative statue that we have is of Jackie Robinson, who played on the turf at the Rose Bowl Stadium in 19, uh, late 1930s for Pasadena City College. He actually is said to hold the stadium record for kickoff return for a touchdown still from a, a game back in 1938 before he headed over to UCLA. So that, that's kind of a cool deal. We we let off with Jackie. You know, Jackie uh, stands on his on his own pedestal for for many many reasons. And now we're trying to move forward. And who who's worthy of a statue in in Rose Bowl history? There's a very very short list of that, uh, from Brandy Chastain and the '99 Women's National Team from the the World Cup back there, which is having its 20th anniversary next summer, to uh, to Keith. You know, and um, you know we're very excited about this. So to your point, Ryan, it is a very rare occurrence that we're talking about not just a campaign like this where we're taking it to the masses and asking people to, to support it with a dollar or a hundred dollars, whatever that might be, and be a part of it. But, you know, you just don't put up a statue for, for just told anybody, you know, we're, you, you're not getting one. I'm not getting one, you know, but we, we have an opportunity to be a part of something here and, and, and really create something in perpetuity for the consumer, the next generation and the, the past generations to come see this and get excited about it and really reminisce about, all those big, big moments that, that Keith provided us as part of those incredible broadcast teams. So it's not, not a, not a common occurrence by any means. Okay. Keith Jackson statue.com is the website. You can give a buck, you can give a hundred dollars and get a plaque. The cool thing is you get to be part of this experience and 
If you loved listening to Keith Jackson, this is a great way to get involved. So it's Dean Bronzino. He's the executive director of the Legacy Foundation for the Rose Bowl. Follow him on Twitter at Deedon Bronzino, of course. But it's really easy. You can just go to KeithJacksonStatue.com if you want to get involved. And Deedon told me if they're, they're using the hashtag WoNelly. Uh, campaign started last week. Hopefully, it's it's been going good so far. Yeah, no, it's been it's been going really well. We've gotten incredible responses. We've we've had former college all Americans, um, just a, the the traditional fan. We've had NFL Hall of Famers get behind this with charitable donations, and and you know I, I think that's the cool part. You can be listed on the statue in perpetuity for just a hundred dollar donation, and and because we are a five hundred one c three, it is a donation. So we're asking people to kind of dig down in their hearts listen to their minds and listen to those memories that Keith has provided over all those years and, and help us make this happen. You know, he deserves it. His legacy does and his family deserves it. And, you know, it's something that, that we can all give back to the community here and educate them and also have a little fun with it. You know, Keith unfortunately passed last month, but uh, this is an opportunity to keep his spirit alive and, and keep those memories alive. So we really appreciate your time today, Ryan, and helping us get people on over to KeithJacksonStatue.com. All right, Dean Bronzino, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll tweet it out, too, after the show, let everyone know, hey, here's the website you want to check out. But if you're if you're listening now in the car, you know, wait till you get home. But plug in <laughs> KeithJacksonStatue.com. Give a buck. Whatever you want to do, uh, it'd be great. And you get to be part of this uh, amazing uh, new statue that's going to be built. I can't wait to see it, Dean. This will be awesome. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate your time and fight on. All right. Thanks so much, Dean. All right. Well, that was uh, – that was pretty cool to hear of all that from uh, Dean Bronzino. We're going to bring in the coach now. Uh, coach, thanks for uh, hooking me up with Dean, man. Seems like a really cool guy. And uh, I, I hope people go to KeithJacksonStatue.com because it seems like a really cool cause there. I really do. I think it's great. And I wouldn't ask our people who listen to our podcast to do it unless I've done it myself. You know, it's hard to mention to people and say what a great voice Keith Jackson is to college sports. We're not college sports. NASCAR. Olympics didn't make any difference. You hear his voice everywhere. And to have this type of tribute, I think it'd be absolutely fantastic. So think about it. Look at it. It's a simple thing to do. And if you choose to do it, we all thank you. We certainly do. All right. Thanks to, again to Deedon. And uh, Coach, we wanted to jump in. We got a bunch of questions. Um, we got voicemails. We got emails. Like I said, uh, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. Uh, but you, you ready to jump right in and talk some USC football? I'm ready. Born ready. All right. So just the news-wise, as of right now, and people keep asking me on Twitter, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Follow Coach at Coach Harvey Hyde. The uh, USC still hasn't hired a running backs coach. Um, it's been, you know, a week and a half or so since signing day, you know, coming on two weeks. He expected something to happen within the first two weeks. So we have some kind of questions on assistant coaches and things like that. But we'll start off with Mark in Crown City. He says, much has been made of USC promoting existing quality control assistants to the coaching staff, most recently with the advancement of Kerry Colbert to tight ends coach and Brian Ellis to quarterbacks coach. What exactly are the responsibilities of quality control assistants and why are the Trojans utilizing this role as a position from which to promote future coaches. Uh, thanks, for, as always, for your education and insight. Uh, fight on, Mark, in Crown City. Just just real quick, it's so you can only have, you know, 10, now that you can have 10 position coaches that are actually on the field, 
um, you know, recruiting, doing all that kind of stuff. So there's certain restrictions that other people, and they call them support staff kind of roles, uh, can do. Like Steve Sarkeesian, I believe, was brought in as a you know quality control assistant or, or similar to at Alabama by Nick Saban, and then Nick Saban ended up promoting him to offensive coordinator for that national championship game. But um, I don't know, kind of get your thoughts on all of that from Mark, Coach. Well, what they used to call uh, call them, and uh, when I was coaching, I could have four graduate assistants, and then I could have as many volunteer coaches as I wanted. And I would always try to get local coaches to help be my volunteer coaches because they knew people in the community and so on. But now they've uh, given more opportunities to pay these guys. So they give them titles, and these titles, of course, uh, mean a lot to them as far as promotions, not only at USC but other universities, and gives a young guy a chance. They don't pay him very much, okay? They don't pay him very much, but they have a full-time job, and uh, what you do is assist uh, the director, player, personnel, recruiting coordinator, whatever title you give them as far as quality control, I would think that would be, I, I would assume that would be keeping track of the number of minutes that people play and who should redshirt and how many plays they've played and all of that. But, you know, it depends what hat you wear under quality control. Uh, it's just a way of getting more coaches involved. Uh, I don't know what all these coaches do now and, and evaluation and, I really don't. I mean, when you have a staff meeting, you've got to have an auditorium now. Before, we used to have a boardroom, like where we could all meet. So there are larger staffs and more coaches, and they're spending more money. That's why they have to make more money, and it's a way to pay someone to be a part of your staff and do additional duties, and it's just an arms race. I really don't know. Uh, the, the schools and the universities that have more money are just going to continue hiring people while other schools just can't afford to do that, but uh, I don't really know what they do, okay? Uh, it'd be good sometime to have one of them on the show and have them explain it to us all, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's, like Coach said, there's more opportunities to have paid coaches on staff, but there's limited roles of what you can do. I mean, they're, they're basically supporting the full-time uh, assistant coaches, and in some cases, it's with like a Brian Ellis. You wanted to bring him on. He was a full-time position coach at Western Kentucky, uh, USC wanted to bring him on. They didn't have a spot. And so he gets one of those like quality control assistant spots, helps out, um, you know, working with the quarterbacks. And that's, you know, the kind of stuff that he was doing. Um, he helped out basically whatever um, Tyson Helton was needing. Uh, you know, Brian Ellis could kind of help with that. I think it gives opportunities to some younger coaches, but we've seen in the arms race sort of thing, like coach talked about, there's also opportunities to bring in, you know, established you know, coaches that are uh, former head coaches that are, you know, can be a part of your staff and really not be, okay, you know, Steve Sarkeesian wasn't the offensive coordinator, but he's a former USC head coach that was in the room, you know, and, and, and kind of helping out with things. And then when Lane Kiffin gets forced out or whatever happened there, you have a former head coach just sitting like on the bench waiting. So um, you, we've seen coaches, especially some of the bigger coaches, do this a lot and bring in some really established uh, coaches, but it's like I said, uh, opportunities for young coaches to get a chance too. And here's two coaches that uh, you know were graduate assistants before. Yeah, you can't do that forever. So there's these other roles they can kind of fill in. And 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 Clay Helton gave both these guys an opportunity. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, uh, I think you you can give young people an opportunity, and I've given a lot of young people opportunities like that that have gone on and be 
NFL coaches and broadcasters and everything else. I think it's great with a, a young person learning from you and doing. You're teaching them to do it your way. But again, I think it's also very important to have established people on your staff that can come in and assist you. That's been there before. And a lot of times uh, you'll see coaches who have been fired uh, become a uh, an assistant for you, and you don't have to pay them because another university is paying them, and they can assist you and work with you on your staff, and I think it's really great to do that too. It, I think it's better to have a combination of both youth, guys that will get out there and stay up all night and do what you ever ask them to do, and then have quality people who have been there with the big lights on before and, and be able to advise you and tell you certain things on certain defenses or uh, trips or opponents and and know the conference you're playing. I think it's important to have a combination of both. Well, we had a, kind of a follow-up with that. Uh, Reggie, he's SC less in Seattle. A little long, uh, bear with me here. He said, the current trend in college football is to bring in former head coaches. Ohio State made some bold coaching moves by hiring uh, West, uh, West Virginia, sorry, Washington State's defensive coordinator, and they have former head coaches on staff like Greg Schiano. So what does Michigan do? They go hire Jim McElwain. It's like every top program is trying to keep up with the Joneses, like Alabama, coaching arms race, if you will. So that's what you were talking about, Coach. This brings me to USC and Coach Helton, who was often criticized for not joining the race. Now these coaches like Myers and Saban are established coaches. When they were in the first three, four years of their coaching careers at major universities, Florida and Michigan State for Saban, or even the first few years at Alabama, they weren't out there hiring big-name uh, former head coaches, they hired quality, young, up-and-coming coaches. Uh, so to Coach Hyde, I ask you, when you got your first major head coaching go- job, did you bring in former big-name head coaches? Uh, coach Helton is already under the gun at SC. Why would you bring in a, f- uh, a former big-name head coach, someone who could overshadow you, when you can go out and hire young, quality coaches who can flat-out coach? Why bring the drama or speculation from fans that your replacement, should you fail, is already on your staff? Because you hired him to appease the fans. I know what the fans want, but if I was Coach Heldon, I wouldn't want another coach on staff who could overshadow me. Not when there are tons of highly capable coaches out there I could bring in who won't pose that threat. It's my show right now, and I have to, and I have to win, and I'm going to do it my way. You may only get one shot uh, at this, so you better make the best of it. When Coach Helton is more entrenched in his position and has shown he's a proven and consistent winner, he may opt to bring in former head coaches at that time. Fight on. Uh, Reggie in Seattle. Reggie, you, uh, you're right on, but again, you have to have a combination. Uh, when I got my f- first major Division One coaching position, I made a made sure I had a combination of everything on my staff. My coordinators had to have been coordinators before. I knew what they ran. Uh, I told them what I wanted them to add or, or delete from what they did. I had to form a defensive coordinator from Arizona State and intern head football coach uh, at Arizona State when he replaced Frank Cush, Bob Owens on my staff. On the defensive side, I had uh, coaches that had coached defense. Uh, I had an uh, offensive coordinator, Al Tanera, who was the offensive coordinator at, at uh, the University of Utah, Texas Tech, other universities. I'm trying to think. Uh, my defensive coordinator, my offensive coordinator was Al Tanera. Then I always made sure I hired somebody who had played football, at UNLV, and that was Wayne Nunley as running back coach from the University of Pacific. Then I wanted to get some quality young coaches who were very successful on their level of coaching, so I hired the head football coach from Ventura College who had been recruiting coordinator at Arizona State 
the head football coach from L.A. South, uh, L.A. South in Southern California. I wanted to have somebody that knew that area down in South Los Angeles and already knew the coaches, so we recruit that hard and had a reputation. So I went around and made sure I hired coaches from different areas where I, we were solid. And I hired a defensive line coach from Arizona State University, Bob Carmelowitz, who ended up uh, at Miami and, and coached in the NFL at Detroit because he knew the Arizona area. So I wanted to make sure my staff had all of the strengths that I needed in recruiting and coaching, and I didn't tell you everybody. But then also as my graduate assistants, I brought in Scott O'Brien, who was the my special teams coach and ended up being the, the special teams coach of the year in the NFL and moved on to other schools. I wanted the type of guys that are around me that make me better but yet don't intimidate me and let them know that I'm the boss. You're still the boss. So you've got to be able to get loyalty first. Number one is loyalty. Number two is performance. And uh, we're all there for the same reason, is to win and possibly get another job. I always used to tell you, and I'll still tell you again, I wanted somebody who wanted my job because the only way he could get it is not us by losing, but by us winning where we would be promoted and other people could become head football coaches. So, I think it's important to have a quality staff. I don't want to teach everybody, but I want to tell them to do what I want taught. And then we'll go from there, and with the combination of success that they've had, with the good leadership on my part in supporting them and having great guys that go out and want to become head football coaches or coordinators, then you've got a chance, but you've got to get recruiters too. All right. Thanks for that one, Reggie. Let's uh, Let's move on. This one's... About former USC legend, uh, well, he's still a USC legend, former USC uh, safety, Ronnie Lott. He's going to be on the playoff committee now, so let me, I'll play this one for you. Hey, Ryan, Frank, up in Fresno. Hey, uh, I want to get your take on uh, what you think about, or let me correct my English, uh, what do you think about uh, about the uh, playoff committee um, recently, whether it's acquiring or hiring uh, Ronnie Lott as one of the, one of the members of the playoff committee? and how that could be beneficial uh, to USC or the Pac-12 in general. Just want to get your thoughts. Thanks. Well, I think it's important to have someone that will stick up for your conference, not be intimidated by the other individuals who are on your committee, uh, being overwhelmed by some people. You sit and listen. Yes, you sit and listen, yet your opinion means something. And it's very uh, very good to have someone who believes in the Pac-12, yet is very prepared to be able to defend the Pac-12 as well as other conferences and making decisions that are necessary to make uh, as far as watching the necessary film, knowing the talent, knowing the coaches, knowing the opponents, knowing exactly what's happening. So when you go to these meetings and when they start, you're prepared to be able to defend your conference and not only defend your conference but make sure that the four teams that are in the playoffs are the teams that should be there. But you can't have someone that sits back and is not willing to when your conference comes up to defend them and talk positively about them if they deserve it. But you've got to have a strong person that's uh, recognized, strong, and uh, is able to, to know the game of football, plus be prepared to defend what your thoughts are among a lot of people, a lot of people who are prepared. And I think the worst thing that can happen on a committee such as that is people sit on the committee but aren't prepared to spend the necessary time during the weeks watching video, watching film, 
watching games in order to be really, really smart on what they're talking about and make sure the four right teams get in there and there's no politics involved. All right, thanks for that one. Uh, let's move on to Tarek. He says, do you see Levi Jones more of an inside linebacker or or a potential replacement for Uchenna Unwosu at the Sam linebacker spot, one of the outside spots? What do you think about Levi Jones? Well, he came in as an inside linebacker, but I think he's an outside type of linebacker. You want him to go, he can get off the edge. He's big, he's fast. And I like to see him get that opportunity. I really think he's a great talent. And I think you've got to be able to not limit talent. You've got to be able to let talent play. And obviously they have inside linebackers. And what you need to do is get to the quarterback and be able to contain and not allow people to get outside of you and be a football player. And I think that that's the type of player he is. I really believe, believe he's great talent. I'm, and, I, and I've said this before. I'm sorry he played last year. He's probably happy he did. But I, I would have liked to have seen him play more or not play at all so he could have matured and had another year. But as players, they don't want a red shirt because they have, when they have great talent, they want to be able to come out early and get to the NFL. This kid has the opportunity of being an NFL football player. And he should be on the field. He's, he's nasty. He goes after the football. He plays with a high-pitch motor. He's like a, a quarter-mile player as far as a, a dragster. And I, I'd get him out there and let him play and play himself into learning the position. And that's why I think this spring uh, – all of this should happen in the spring. I mean, it should not be whenever you can hit, I would hit. I'd hit a lot and put it everybody in game conditions, both offensively and defensively, and not make it a soft spring, but make it a spring where you find out who your players are in the spring so you can make the determination during the first week of fall and the first game on who your players really are. We have a few more left, Coach, and we'll let you go. They're all about uh, incoming freshman player so we're going to start off with a defensive back first here you go hey guys how you doing love this show um listen i have a question oh, i'm sorry my name is mike um from lakeview terrace i have a question when i look at um isaac taylor stewart i see offense um i was thinking does he have a chance at all to be a two-way player i would like to get um the opinion from dan Coach, and also you, Ryan, um, I, want, I would like all three of your opinions. Is he better on defense, better on offense, or could this possibly be a Charles Woodson, a Dory Jackson type player for us? Um, love what you guys do. Thank you very much, and um, can't wait to the next podcast. Thanks. Ryan, since he asked for all of our opinion, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'll have to. Since we don't have Dan on the show, we're probably not going to be able to do that, but. Um, I really do like him uh, for when I've seen him as a defensive back. Um, I think he's, you know, he's an extremely fast player. And if USC had the need for that, um, they needed more playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. I think they got enough guys there. And you want to see, you know, the depth that uh, defensive back, you know, especially corner, uh, be added to a little bit. And I just feel like it's going to, he's going to fit well there. Um, if, if, you know, if USC was deficient and they needed some, some playmakers, like I said, on the offensive side of the ball, I could see him doing that. But to me, I think his future is going to be a cornerback. And I think Daniel Jeremiah was tweeting something out. He talks to a lot of high school players that they get so many receivers and it's just hard to find really good corners. And I think he plays so well at that spot that, yeah, he could do things on offense too. But I, I think he's more of a, a difference maker to me as a DB than a wide receiver or something. What do, what do you think, Coach? 
I agree with you 100%. Uh, uh, the two-way stuff, I, I don't like that. I didn't even like it with the Dory Jackson, but the, he did make a difference when he did play on offense on certain plays. I think you have formation tendencies, and uh, I think you have morale problems when uh, you have a player come in and take your position. Uh, nobody might not say anything, but, you know, you, you work all week or all year to be a receiver or a slot receiver, and then someone comes in and takes your position on a big down. So I think you've got to be very careful there. I think special teams-wise, though, well, he could really contribute. And I think to be great on defense, you've got to have great corners. And as you mentioned, Ryan, you don't have that uh, number of great corners. I mean, ones that come up and want to challenge you, and he's got that type of attitude. I mean, I like his attitude. Not that uh, he's going to, say, be cocky, but he's got to be confident. And there's a difference uh, of cocky and confident. And to be able to take away the pass, and you'll be able to stunt, stunt more, attack more, but you feel confident on the corner position. Uh, and as I mentioned last week or two weeks ago when, it, when we did our recruiting show, I think the corners at USC now have an opportunity of playing like that, especially if you move Marshall from a corner position. Because I never felt he felt comfortable there. As you know, I've mentioned that over and over and over. And get some corners that like to press, like to play man, and uh, get after people. I think that I'd leave him there and tell him that's where he's going to be and put your head into this position and learn it. You're going to make more money than if you were a receiver if you ever went to the NFL. All right. Thanks for that one. We got also Super Steve in Seattle. We got a bunch of Seattle questions. Uh, Coach Hyde and Ryan, is Amon Ross St. Brown a diva that needs to be worried uh, about like a Keyshawn Johnson or Terrell Owens in the pros? The kind of kid that's insanely talented on the field, but an embarrassment to the program with ego and antics. Um, I, I, that's the first part of his question. I don't know if you want to talk about that. He's, I wouldn't say he's anything like that. I mean, he's he's definitely flamboyant and he's out there, but uh, I, I don't think he's going to end up being a problem at USC. Do you have any thoughts on that, Coach? Well, I hope he isn't because he's just going to hurt himself. Uh, people recognize talent. They don't. If you know, if you want to be a actor or do other things you can do that somewhere else uh, i think that partly uh we are responsible for the egos these players have by the way you uh, treat them when you're recruiting them and they're on tv and all the camps they go to and all the things we talk about them on how great they are and so on but i think there's a time we explain to them that now you know it's a team game it's not any longer an individual game and uh, there's 10 other guys that make that help you make a play so don't put all the limelight on you. And, and remember one thing, if you give them credit, they're liable to work harder to make you successful too. So I think you need to have that type of talk with players like this by calling them in your office, not in front of everybody. Sit down and say, you know, now let's tell you, you got away with this stuff, and, and uh, obviously uh, you're a great athlete. But, again, you want players to make you a, big, a great athlete and want you to be a great player, and you want them to try harder when your number's called, and you got to play hard for them when their number's called, and uh, let him know that people will recognize who he is. He doesn't have to kick the ball into the stands or spin the ball to do the things that um, make you feel as though people didn't recognize what your performance was just then. So once you explain that to him and let him know you're not kidding around, you're serious, and the first time he does this, you let him know. I said, uh, you know, you tell him, you know, I talked to you about this. I spent 15 minutes of my day or 30 minutes of my day explaining this to you. And I got other things to do but to explain to you about how to spin a football. If you want to do that, <laughs> do that at home. 
So, you know, I would, I would let him know that and not embarrass him, not say it in front of everybody. But I think it's very important that you talk to kids about certain things before you enforce it. Yeah, and I think, you know, we saw Tyler Vaughn's not, not even like spin a football, just like really getting up and sort of draw. And they, they call the, you know, 15-yard penalty on him. It wasn't anything he was like calling attention to himself. It was just like putting the ball down. I mean, it was crazy. Like they're, they're, the Pac-12 refs can be hypersensitive to stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you'll figure that out. I mean, if it, if he's getting a 15-yard penalty, it probably means he made some huge play, which is good. But the 15-yard penalty obviously is bad. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if he was get, if it was happening multiple times, you know, even if you're making big plays, you're not going to be out there playing. So I, I wouldn't – I mean, for people that come in and worry about it, I, I wouldn't worry about him that much. He comes from a great family, and uh, I think he's going to be a special player at USC. I think his dad will take care of that, okay? <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, we have one more question. Now, this is about Amon Ross St. Brown's teammate and quarterback who, for some reason, Coach, people feel like he's not very mobile. Now, he's not as mobile as like a Matt Fink or a Jack Sears, but if you saw any of his games, he can take off and run, and he did that more. That's something he actually worked on. So let me play this question for you and then get your thoughts. Hey, guys. This question is for any of uh... – the crew. Do you think that the quarterbacks that we have, two dual threats and now a pocket passer coming for Martyr Day, are we going to change the offense if we have a pocket passer like we should? If we shouldn't go to read option looks like the coaches explain how the numbers work with all those receivers on the field, they have to respect the fact that the quarterback can run. We can't get away with that. Uh, with a, a cement shoes quarterback. I don't know if this guy uh, from modern day can run or not, but if he's going to be the man, we need to change the offense. Is T. Martin capable of running uh, pro sets and eyes and traditional offenses with a pocket passer, or does he have to stay in his uh, gumbo offense that really needs a running quarterback? Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, uh, I think that, as Ryan mentioned, I think the guy is more of an athlete than that he gets credit for. And remember, he's a young kid. He's going to get bigger and stronger. And uh, he's a pretty good player. He's, I think he's a great player. He's going to be a great player if handled properly and brought along and uh, put in a position and, and uh, with an offense, as you mentioned, where he's successful. But I think they're all able to run good enough if they're going to stay in the same offense that they ran, and they've got to be able to do this or get out of it like you suggest and go to a two-back set. They've got to be able to take the risk of running him. You cannot run that offense and be afraid to run your quarterback. You just can't. Now, I'm not telling you the guy's going to break it and run like Tate does for Arizona for 90 yards and 80 yards and 70 yards and all of that. No. But they can get you to 15 yards. They can get you to 10 yards. They can hold the defense so that your back's running inside, have an opportunity. And they can run bootlegs and do certain things to spread the defense. And this is what you have to do if you're running that type of offense, one-back offense. And they all three have that ability. And I've mentioned this before in a lot of shows, the two times that Matt Fink carried the ball last year, one was 49 yards for a touchdown, and another one like was 30 or 40 yards. That's because USC never did run the quarterback and the defense never did worry about it. But if you have a quarterback that you're going to run and it's part of your offense, then they have to defend it. 
So it's just depending on what they do with the offense. That's what it's all about, what they do with the offense in order to make this one-back offense a two-back offense by making the quarterback a threat in the run. And I think they're all capable enough to get enough done with that. Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks for that, Curtis, in Marina Valley. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Coach, and uh, really looking forward to uh, hearing more from Dita, our buddy Deaton Bronzino about this uh, Keith Jackson statue. And hopefully uh, are the fans of the podcast here will, will get involved too and, and be part of that uh, that legacy that will be up there for perpetuity outside the Rose Bowl. Looking forward to that. Ryan, I thank you for allowing him to come on the show because I think people, you know, they like to hear about Keith and what he's done and the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. And he's the one that named him that, the granddaddy of them all, and Woe Nelly and all of these different type of sayings that were there at a great opportunity becoming a good friend of his. And he's a true gentleman. And uh, I, I didn't uh, – he's not, he's not a person that I, uh, you know, worked with or any of that, just a person that I became a friend with and his family. So – Again, uh, consider it. Again, it's www.keithjacksonstatue.com. So, Ryan, have a great week and a great President's Day, and take care, everyone. Yeah, thank you, Coach. Happy President's Day to you. Hope you're enjoying some time, besides the work we had to do right now, maybe a little bit of time off. And everyone else, if you're listening to this uh, on President's Day, not done up and go to work, thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us. And uh, thanks again to the coach. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow me at Inside Troy. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.